to Pharmacy View podcast, where we provide regular interviews with pharmacists and key industry people within Australian pharmacy and associated industry. In this stream of podcast episodes, we discuss aspects of pharmacy career, resources and training, and how each area interacts with guest current role or pharmacy-related business. I'm your host, Kavita Nadan, pharmacist founder from Locomate, and my guest today is proudly brought to you by Shopfront Solutions. For all of your shelf and digital marketing needs, part of the Arion Technologies Group. Welcome to our listeners today. It's going to be a really hot day in Melbourne, so a great day to be indoors recording a very super special podcast with the one and only Kay Dunkley, um, a PSA Victorian Pharmacist Excellence Award recipient in 2019, as well as being the PSA Symbian Pharmacist of the Year in 2020. Kay is currently ex- the Executive Officer at Pharmacy Pharmacist Support Services, or PSS as we like to call it, and a Dr. Wellbeing Consultant at the AMA. Now, there is so much more that I could I could say about you, Kay, but we'll get into the final details soon. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's my pleasure to be here. I feel very honoured to be invited. <laughs> Um, no worries. So before I start our podcast and get into it, I like to ask my um, guests a, a little icebreaker question. So your question for today is, if you could pick up a new skill in an instance, what would it be and why? I would love to be able to play the piano. I did start learning and I gave up very early on. And I really enjoy listening to piano music, so I'd love to be able to actually play the piano and, you know, provide that sort of entertainment for myself and for other people and just the, you know, it's a very relaxing, soothing tone as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, I'd love to be able to do that. Uh, I think I would have to agree with you because my daughter wants to do the piano and she's like, can I just do lessons at school? Like, you know what? It's actually been one of those instruments. Like I did the guitar for a bit when I was younger, but the piano is just always uh, kind of enticed me. It just, it is, it's exactly very, very beautiful and, and a lot of beautiful music can be made from it as well. So amazing. Awesome. Now, can you walk us through the life of Kay Dunkley, both personally and professionally from the beginning to now? We'd love to hear it all, Kay. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I uh, went to my local primary and secondary schools, starting off in country Victoria and moving to Melbourne when I was about 10. And um, I enjoyed my school life. I was probably a bit of uh, a nerd <laughs> or a dad, sort of fairly conscientious. And, um, you know, I, I really did enjoy achieving and learning at school. And I was very fortunate in that when I was finishing school, I came out of um, secondary school in the era when tertiary education oh. was free. And so I had the opportunity to attend university, which neither of my parents had. My brother, who's a couple of years older, was able to also attend university and, you know, it was just a wonderful opportunity. And um, when I was in my final year of school, year 12, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And pharmacy was very much a last minute choice, but I'm so glad that I chose it. I had a, a girlfriend who'd been thinking about pharmacy and decided to study medicine. I wasn't interested in medicine, but um, pharmacy seemed like a perfect uh, blend of science and healthcare. And uh, the course yes. wasn't too long. 
And uh, also, you know, there was opportunity in those days with the course over your summer holidays, you were expected to complete some of your training hours. And also it was not uncommon as it is now for everyone to have a job on the weekend and in pharmacy and, um, and plus, you know, at the end, when you did your intern year, you were being paid. So that was made it quite appealing. So yep, that's how I got into, I was in there. I really, um, was inspired by some of the people I saw practicing. My initial career was in hospital pharmacy. Yep. And I loved that. I loved being part of a healthcare team. I loved interacting with patients, doctors, nurses, other allied health professionals. I uh, spent a few years working on the neonatal intensive care ward and just thrived there, really became quite a, you know, a committed member of that team, got to know everyone on that ward. Same time, started doing some further education, postgraduate qualifications in um, diploma in hospital pharmacy, postgraduate diploma in hospital pharmacy, went on and decided I wanted to go up further up the career ladder um, and, you know, worked in a few different hospitals in Melbourne, but um, ultimately became the deputy director at Frankston Hospital, which is Peninsula Health, um, and worked there with the wonderful Jan De Clifford as the director of pharmacy. But once I started a family, I needed a bit more flexibility. And in those days, there wasn't any obligation to provide you with part-time roles. And so that's when I started looking elsewhere and initially went to the Pharmaceutical Society to work as a project officer. And the wonderful Alistair Lloyd, who's just passed away, was the one yeah. who gave me that role and put some confidence in me and, um, you know, to actually be able to make that transition into a more administrative role, which is really, you know, in a membership organisation, it is very much about meeting the needs of your colleagues. And I think I'd been long aware that pharmacists did need support. And at that time when I was doing that, then I felt constable was establishing the pharmacist support service back in 1995, which gives you an indication of how long ago, I, you know, how long I've been practicing. And, um, you know, I was a volunteer initially. Um, I left the, pharmace the pharmaceutical society and did some work in a uh, government-linked organisation, the Victorian Drug Usage Advisory Committee, involved in establishing websites and discussion groups and things like that. Um, that became part of the health department, which I didn't enjoy so much, very bureaucratic, a lot of protocols and things to follow. There wasn't as much sort of um, autonomy to run things the way you wanted to. So went back to do some clinical pharmacy. I had always maintained some practice working um, evenings and weekends in um, private hospital pharmacy and occasionally in the community pharmacy front at that same business, uh, which was is Slade Pharmacy at the Epworth. Yeah. I was there about 10 years, in fact, complementing my more administrative roles with some clinical pharmacy to keep my hand in. And um, from there, uh, rejoined as a volunteer with Pharmacist Support Service and ultimately took on the role of coordinating that. And while I was coordinating that was when we first decided that we needed to expand it outside Victoria and make it a national service and seek funding from all the pharmacy bodies. And that was you know, a major step in the development of PSS at that time yeah. to take it away from 
Victoria, just being a Victorian program to covering all of Australia and getting all the pharmacy organisations on board to support it with funding. And, uh, you know, that then, you know, leads to where I am now. We became an incorporated association. Um, we have, you know, developed our volunteer team. We've grown the volunteer team. We have volunteers in most states and territories of Australia. I think the only place we don't have someone at the moment is Northern Territory. So we have volunteers in all the other areas, just one in WA. And yep. he's amazing because he copes with the time difference really well because, um, you know, obviously we operate from 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. And that's daylight savings time. So in at this time of the year, and he's actually just finished a roster and he starts at 5 a.m. on the roster. So that's a pretty, you know, that shows how committed the volunteers are, which, you know, without PSS, without PSS wouldn't exist without the volunteers. We need the volunteers. They are the backbone. I'm just the person who I suppose is at the front, you know, front facing uh, along with, you know, the president, John Coppock and the other board members, but uh, the volunteers are the ones who actually do all the work. So alongside that sort of growth in PSS, I was invited to work at AMA and, um, to in Victoria, just the Victorian branch of AMA to help them set up a peer support service. So their support service is based on PSS. It's, you know, the same model of sort of crisis support, a team of volunteers who are all trained. They're all doctors, often retired or semi-retired or people in roles who can take calls in the same way that the pharmacists who answer the calls on the PSS line are. And, you know, while at AMA, I've also developed um, other services. The uh, We have a visiting program for elderly isolated doctors, and we also have a mentoring program. So it's, you know, very satisfying to work in those spaces as well as with pharmacists. And yeah, really my passion has become the well-being of health professionals as a broader and a broader sort of reach. Um, although obviously as a pharmacist, that's my sort of <laughs> commit, you know, I'm very committed um, at, to pharmacy, but I am also interested in the well-being of all health professionals. And more recently, I've become involved with an organisation called Hand in Hand, which is a peer support organisation, which covers all health professionals across Australia and New Zealand. And we set people up with, you know, matches with others for peer support with that organisation. And that that was founded by um, Dr. Tani Britson, who um, was the Young Queenslander of the Year last year and is really amazing young doctor. Yeah. And, uh, got a great team of people and it's wonderful to liaise with them and work with them. And I learn a lot. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that I've really enjoyed about pharmacy is just that you never stop learning and developing. Wow. Okay. That's uh, um, an amazing uh, step walk through your, your journey so far. Um, and you've achieved so much and, and been involved in so much as well throughout those years. Now, you know, what really drove you to start to work with, in this space, especially through like the mental health um, and well-being space for health professionals? Is there any particular thing that really prompted you or you just always really been interested in it from the start? Look, 
I was interested from the start and there were a few things that I was exposed to early in my career that really made me realise that health professionals do need specialist help, that it's not, um, that, you know, it is hard for them to seek assistance and support. Um, I remember as an intern, um, my ca- I did a case study and it was on a medical student who'd attempted suicide with paracetamol and I mean, they were able to treat her with acetylcysteine, um, but unfortunately was a delay in the treatment. Um, I don't know what happened to her in the long term, but it just struck me that it was very sad. He was this promising young person who had everything, you know, that would seem going for her in life, who had, you know, attempted suicide, um, hadn't been able to get the help she needed. And then as a pharmacist working in um, hospital setting, I would see health professionals who were distressed, um, you know, young, particularly the intern doctors, you'd sometimes see them crying somewhere because they just felt overworked, overburdened. I mean, you know, it is very hard um, path for young doctors through medicine. And, um, but also, you know, nurses, we, um, when I worked on the neonatal intensive care unit, Obviously, there were a lot of deaths and there were mortality meetings and there was debriefing even back then, long time ago, but it was quite progressive in that regard. And I realised that, you know, people were affected emotionally by their work, that if you really care about the people you're serving as a pharmacist, you will be emotionally affected when, um, you know, things aren't going well for the people you're caring for. And so, you know, I'd be I began to see early on in my career that there was a need. And then going to the PSA in Victoria and Bell Council, setting up the pharmacist support service and, you know, speaking to pharmacists and hearing their stories, the, you know, stresses they were under and, and you know, realising that they also were often isolated, didn't feel that they could talk to people in their usual networks and wanted to have this sort of support available so, you know, that's really where it started, just through exposure and my own experiences, you know, the number of times as a young pharmacist, you go and have a cry in the toilet about something, or you experience something that's really quite unpleasant, whether it, you know, um, in the hospital, you know, sometimes you would have a doctor who would yell at you across a ward or something like that, or a nurse who would make a, a snarky remark about, you know, what, a, you know, what are you doing? Why, why do we need you here type of thing? And, um, you know, they were all hurtful and undermining. And so I suppose, you know, I could see that there's a real need for support and sometimes your colleagues aren't the right people to provide that support and you need it outside. You know, sometimes it's your colleagues who actually give you a hard time as well. You know, when I was caught up on the wards and, you know, colleagues back in the pharmacy were relying on me to come back and, you know, take some of the workload in the dispensary. You know, there was always that tension between what I was doing on the wards and, and working and supporting your own colleagues. And that sometimes left me feeling quite, um, you know, stressed and, and distressed too, when, you know, you're getting called in multiple directions and, you know, pharmacy is one of those professions where you have to be, get things right. And you are often being asked to do multiple things at once. Um, you know, it's often a very busy, noisy, 
environment where you can't focus, but you can't make a mistake either. So, you know, some of it is personal experience and as well as hearing other stories. And now when I hear stories of what happens to people, I still find that really, you know, quite um, distressing. I, I suppose I've hardened a little bit over the years, but not lo- hopefully not lost my empathy for people who are struggling. Um, and, you know, it really does concern me that there are lots of pharmacists out there struggling and finding things difficult. And, um, you know, I now as an mature pharmacist, I'll say, um, you know, the mothering instinct comes in when I mix with the students or the early career pharmacists that I want to make sure that they've got the, the skills to manage and get through difficult situations. Of course. And I think um, whenever we do really push ourselves and involve ourselves in any project, a lot of that does come from personal experience. And, and you you were in a time where, you know, although we did um, go out and help people to the best of our ability, it still has progressed so much more since that time to what where we are now, where it's a little bit more, there's awareness and there is a more, that, that idea, the stigma around it, although it may still be there, I feel like it has shifted over the course of those years. How are you, how have you found that um, across you know, starting from when you did to now, like what's been the biggest difference that you found in our community and and, and amongst the health professionals adopting this sort of change? Well, I think there's more awareness that our wellbeing is really important, that we can't practice as competent pharmacists if we're not feeling as well as possible. And, you know, when I say well, I'm talking in the broadest sense. So you know, whether it's uh, feeling stressed or under pressure or, you know, um, experiencing depression or anxiety or other mental health issues. Um, I mean, obviously in the current climate, there's a lot of pharmacists who are burnt out, which it's not defined as a mental health diagnosis, but it is a real phenomena and it really does impact. And, you know, I think that People are now more willing, and certainly what I see with social media is younger pharmacists are willing to put themselves out there and say, this is what's happened, what can I do about it, and seek help um, in a more open way, which, you know, obviously back in my early career, you didn't tell anyone you were struggling. There was a lot of stigma, and, you know, when I, I mean that in struggling in the broader sense, whether it's, you know, just finding things hard going or, you know, experiencing depression or anxiety. Um, and, you know, it was very hard to, to take that step to talk to someone else. And, and, you know, fortunately along the way, there's been lovely mentors and people who've been very supportive, but there are times when you can feel very alone. And I think, you know, now there's greater acceptance that we're all human and, you know, that life is stressful. I think that's been one of the positives that's come out of the COVID pandemic is we're all more aware of the importance of mental health and wellbeing. And there's a lot more being put in place in recent times to support people and to make sure that they do uh, work at their optimum. You know, it's all about, there's, there's a nice stress curve that I use in a lot of my presentations. And you, know, you really want to be working at your peak, your optimum. You don't want to be too relaxed, but you also don't want to be struggling and stressed because your performance levels just fall off. 
weaker in that position and you're more likely to make a mistake or to react badly to a situation. And so, you know, being able to work in that optimum space is really important. Absolutely. And I think, um, speaking from a perspective of an owner who, you know, previously you just work it, you do what you have to do. But I think the COVID pandemic really highlighted that there is a limit to, you know, what we do and especially working to the intensity that we did. And when you go through a burnout personally, you can then finally start to relate, hey, this is a real thing. It's actually something that has to be managed, um, both internally, but also externally as well. And I have a feeling as a result, it's allowed a a lot of owners and managers who previously perhaps were not as empathetic towards, you know, um, the needs of mental health um, in our colleagues um, or employees. I feel like that shift has happened a lot more so as a result of, of the pandemic. But having said that, I mean, as somebody who who employs people as an owner, manager, director of company, whatever it might be, what are some things I could put into place in my own practice, whether it be my pharmacy or at my head office level or support office level in my association that would allow for that level of mental health awareness and support to to my staff? Look, I think it's really important relationships and communication and taking time to actually talk to staff and be available to staff and checking in on how they're going and being aware of them as a person, not just someone who turns up at the pharmacy, you know, before nine o'clock to open and, and works through till close, that they also have a life outside and, you know, being interested in that. Um, one of my early, um, he was director of pharmacy, uh, Reg Aralapu, every morning when he came in, he'd actually walk around the pharmacy and say hello to everyone at the start of the day. And I felt that was really important. Now, yeah, it might not be practical to do it every single day, but certainly touching base with people on a regular basis, once a week, finding out if they've got any issues that they want to discuss with you or any concerns, knowing a little bit about their personal circumstances, because sometimes when people's personal circumstances stances are impinging on their ability to work, they don't like to say, I've got a childcare issue, for example. Um, can I come in 15 minutes later because I can't drop my child off until this time? Or, you know, whatever it is, some small alteration, or I've got a medical appointment. Can I have some time off to attend to that? And knowing that and being able to look after staff really makes them feel valued. You know, it's all about like when we work, we need to feel valued and appreciated and that what we're doing is is um, worthwhile. And I think, you know, having people who are, um, you know, managers and owners who actually do take in an interest in their staff makes a huge difference to how people feel about coming to work. It's more like you're more likely to retain good staff if you do that. And, you know, in this current time where we've got, you know, workforce shortages, retaining staff is really important. So I think that friendly checking in without being intrusive um, and these small things, small gestures to people. um, It's, you know, there was a post on social media that talked about closing up and people claiming overtime. And I think, you know, you need to pay people until they actually finish work. Like, I don't think you should be expecting people 
to, um, you know, do that in their own time. So, you know, it's really important that you actually acknowledge the hours that people put in. Um, I mean, if you're concerned about efficiency, that's a, you know, that's something you can discuss with them. And that's also something that you can, um, you know, ma help them manage, you know, work with them and coach them to, you know, manage things in the best way possible so that they are more efficient, but not criticize them or not refuse to pay them. That's just, you know, it, it shows a real lack of respect for the, for their skills that they're bringing to work in your, in your pharmacy, whether that's hospital or community, you know, we need to recognize and pay people for the hours they put in when, you know, and, and help them manage their workload when it's really busy or when there's pressures or when something unexpected happens, you know, and that, you know, that is partly paying them adequately, being there if you need to be there. Um, or making sure there's as, as many staff as you can engage who are all available to work when needed, looking after people as individuals. These are all really important, very basic wellbeing types of um, activities. And it's not, you know, there's people are starting to offer things like, you know, whether it's yoga or something like that. But if you don't actually address the systemic workplace issues, those sorts of programs don't offer any benefits. You know, you've actually got to address the issues that are causing the problems in the workplace. You can't just patch it up with a yoga class or even, I mean, look, a, a morning tea or a lunch or something like that is great. It brings community to the team and they enjoy, you know, the chance to have, a, have something tasty during their day and interact a little bit more with their colleagues but it doesn't actually solve the problems if they're so busy they can't even go out to get a sandwich or a cake or whatever it is that you're providing. So you've got to address the systemic issues and look at what you can actually do to make the workplace, you know, um, function eff effectively and efficiently without stressing out everyone. Absolutely. And I think... Um one of the things is that's important I find is having the accessibility of your staff to you as well um, because when they feel there there is an open line of communication, there's more uh, uh, transparency and, and availability for them to share information and, and you know, open up that, that those channels. So I guess uh, what another thing we would really want to try and promote is having everybody to kind of have their own mental health check as well and check in with themselves. What are, what are some of the techniques or practices do, do you think people should, you know, for their own health and mental health awareness and, and support is practice that, that they should do in order to keep themselves in check? I think it's really important too also for everyone to check in with themselves how they're actually feeling and acknowledge that. It's very easy to feel like we have to put on this hard exterior where nothing upsets or distresses us and that actually just contributes to burnout and, you know, and it, it creates a lack of empathy and compassion with the other people we're dealing with, whether it's the patients and customers or our, our colleagues or, you know, staff members. Um, so I think, you know, acknowledging that we're human as individuals and that we have emotions and being tuned into those. Now, 
as a female, we're perhaps a little bit more, this comes a little bit more naturally. Um, and you know, it can be harder because a lot of men have been raised to not display or express emotions. Um, and so there's a lot more barriers, particularly in, you know, the generation, the older generations where, you know, they were told as, as males not to cry, not to show emotion. Um, and it's actually fine. We are human. We need to recognize and show our emotion and be willing to address that emotion, acknowledge that we're feeling sad or we're feeling angry or, you know, we're grieving. It's really important being tuned into ourselves. And, you know, there is some evidence to show that emotional intelligence actually reduces the likelihood of burnout. I mean, it's not, and I, and I think it's difficult because not everyone is good at, as good at this as everyone else and people have different levels of emotional intelligence, but, you know, spending some time thinking about how you're feeling about life. You know, we, we get caught up in this busyness where we rush from one thing to the next and we never sit with ourselves and actually think. And, you know, there are practices such as mindfulness, which help us to focus on the moment, but also help us to tune into how we're feeling. There's, you know, just sitting in the car, listening to music and thinking about your day and what's impacted on you and, and why you reacted that way to someone else is really important to help us process. You know, we have to process when there's been a difficult situation, it, it has to be processed. You can't just push it away and bury it. It will come out to, to cause problems later. So, you know, spending time processing when there's been a difficult situation and, you know, you can, when there's been something, say an incident in the pharmacy, an angry customer. Spending time as a group just talking about what happened can be quite um, important and, uh, you know, it can make a big difference to everybody um, in that who's involved in that situation. So, you know, there's the group type of activity where we talk to each other, but there's also that personal analysis of how the day's been and spending a few minutes. And yeah, that's best done on your way home from work, sort of so that by the time you get home, you actually can leave the work day behind. But, you know, acknowledging that what happens in our personal lives will affect us at work. It's very easy, you know, um, when there's perhaps difficulties in our home life, we carry that to work. We need to be aware of that and monitor ourselves. And, you know, that's when it can be helpful to tell someone, like if you're an employee, to mention to your boss, look, I'm going through some marital difficulties or my child's having some problems at school. It's causing me a little bit of stress. I, I'm doing my best to manage this, but, you know, if I appear distracted, you know, please understand because, you know, we are whole people. We have, we're not, we can't control, you know, um, what happens to us in a lot of cases and it will come out in our behaviour. So I think, you know, that sort of growth in understanding of ourselves is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess if anything does get too much, you know, we've got the services of PSS there who are, you know, with, with so many volunteers, um, ready to help. And, and what do you feel like we need to do to ensure that, you know, PSS continues to grow and is available as a service for our healthcare professionals, especially pharmacists, young pharmacists as well, who are coming into, um, this industry with, you know, a lot of, of stress, especially post COVID as well. 
Um, how can we as an industry help to support and grow PSS? Hmm. Look, you know, some of it comes down to the financial support of PSS and we do take donations. We are a tax deductible charity. So if individuals want to support us with a financial donation, that's very welcome. And on our website, there's links to do that. Um, I think also, and, and this is something I say to students and interns and young pharmacists, tell others about PSS because not everyone will have been at a presentation I've given. Not everyone is, you know, aware of PSS. There's still a lot of people across Australia. I think the other aspect of, of that is, you know, we're all here to support each other. And if everyone had that support around them, PSS wouldn't be needed as much. I mean, there's still, there's always going to be cases where someone wants the anonymous support that PSS provides. And, you know, and that's, again, just jumping back to the previous question, I mean, that's something that PSS can offer people when they've had an interaction in the pharmacy that's caused them distress. Talking it over with PSS helps them to actually self-reflect. I mean, it, it can be hard to self-reflect and sometimes that's how people use PSS is to actually talk about, you know, what happened and get someone else, like someone who's outside the situation to sort of give them some feedback and comment and and help them explore. And that can be a way that people can actually grow their sort of emotional intelligences by doing that with PSS or with a psychologist or counsellor or, you know, with someone that they trust. It It is very helpful. Um, I think back to PSS, I mean, what, you know, we are largely run by volunteers. I'm the main employed person and my role isn't full-time at the moment. And it's, you know, getting to a stage in PSS where, the, you know, the people who are employed need to grow and that could be my time. Um, and, you know, that does, again, that comes back to money um, and financial support um, to, you know, to ensure that PSS is around. We, um, yeah, we do everything as economically as possible and a lot of the organisations will host us at their conferences. We go to things like APP and the PSA conferences and the SHVA conferences and have a stand and those organisations support us to do that and that's really important and valued in terms of getting out the message. And, you know, I think too, you know, sort of... Um, Having the op PSS needs the opportunity to do things where um, we can talk about the well-being needs of pharmacists and raise awareness. And so, having those opportunities and little things like a podcast, or recently we did, uh, we've done another webinar with HAP this week. You know, these opportunities to spread the word to pharmacists are really important because we actually want to prevent pharmacists needing to call us, like we. I mean, we'll never do ourselves completely out of a job, but, you know, it did concern us when our call numbers climbed hugely during COVID, you know, it did concern us, well, is this going to continue and how can we manage this with a, a large volunteer workforce? And we've got a lot of people who are keen to volunteer and that's very pleasing. Um, as I said, without volunteers, we can't run a PSS. So it's, um, you know, they're critical to to the actual service. Um, and we do train new volunteers, but it is quite a demanding role because people have to be available to take calls during the week. And a lot of pharmacists aren't able to do that. Um, 
but you know they can put up magnets in their workplaces and tell others about PSS. Um, they can give donations, um, you know, and come along to when when we're running education sessions, come along and and listen and be open and take the messages back to your workplace. I think they're all important. You know, it's all about spreading this well-being message through the profession, making it acceptable to to seek help, encouraging pharmacy owners and managers and directors of pharmacy in the hospital setting and others to really look after the pharmacists because they'll perform their best if they're well looked after. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a testament to our profession, our pharmacists, if so many of them are wanting to be volunteers. It just goes to show that there is this level of care and support that you want to provide, right? So um, as much as, you know, you would want to say, hey, eventually there's not that many calls coming in. It's a great thing because we're now able to be able to talk to each other and rely on each other for that support and level of well-being that we need. Um, so as we come to a close, Kay, thank you so much for for this opportunity. It's been amazing. I've just been hanging on to every single word you've been saying. I just wanted to talk to you, Vesley. What are some self-care techniques that you actually use to get through your days and your weeks? Yeah, look, I haven't always been good at self-care and I have worked hard in recent times to improve that. Um, but, you know, I enjoy getting out in nature. I really do enjoy. I've got a particular friend that we go for long walks and, um, you know, part of that process is taking some photos and putting them on social media, but just chatting and walking and being outside. Um, I do a regular Pilates class, um, and that helps me with my, you know, physical well-being. I'm, you know, currently you know, working on looking better after my own personal health, um, you know, sort of around diet and exercise and keep maintaining weight and things like that as you get older, these things will become more challenging and you have to do that. Um, I personally, like I have some chickens in the garden and I actually really get a lot of pleasure just out of looking after them, you know, going out, collecting fresh eggs, feeding them, keeping them safe from foxes. Um, and yeah, just having, having something, I mean, you know, pets are really important, I think in a lot of people's lives and you know, they often, I mean, I've, I've actually heard people say that they go home from work and debrief to their pet, you know, because the pet's just going to listen, it's not going to answer. And, and at the same time, you can be, you know, patting and stroking. And we know that all reduces blood pressure and lowers stress levels. So yeah, I, I enjoy that. And, and obviously family is important too. And, and being with family, um, and I enjoy travel. I've got um, a couple of holidays coming up. I'm looking forward to that. So, you know, there's there are lots of things. And, yeah, personal relationships, um, keeping in touch. I, I still have friends who we stood around the courtyard at the old Victorian College of Pharmacy on our first day of orientation, all feeling a bit awkward because we didn't know anyone. And I still have these people as friends. And, you know, to me that's really valuable and really important. And they don't know that much about my work because we talk more about personal things and friendships and, you know, life in general, you know, so I think that, and, you know, I think the other thing is your spiritual connection, you know, um, is important as well. And, and putting that into practice, um, in whatever way is appropriate for you. I think that's, you know, we, 
We need all those things. We need our emotions. We need our physical health. We need our, um, our mental health. We need our spiritual health, you know, we, and we need to feel that we belong and have a place in life and are valued. So yeah, they're all things that I try and put into place. And the other thing I enjoy is reading too, reading books, but I always fall asleep when I'm the off the book, <laughs> but it is something I enjoy. It's something I always do when I'm traveling or on holidays is have a book to read. So I can sort of relax and tune out a bit and, and involve myself in a, in a, someone else's story. <laughs> Yeah, and I, and I think what I get from that is, Kate, it doesn't have to be anything too grand and, you know, crazy and creative that is uh, a, a self-care practice. It's just can be something as simple as going out and walking in nature with a friend, you know, or sitting down and, and, and talking to your pets. Like it's it's just the simple things that we just need to practice but be, be mindful of, I guess. So amazing. I love it. I mean, you've got a lot of things going on, so it's so exciting and I can't wait to to see you at uh, APP this year as well. Um, but in the meantime, if if anybody wants to find out more about Pharmacist Support Service, please go to their website um, and we will put in uh, some of the LinkedIn and uh, Instagram, if you have it, um, posts and, and, and links as well at the end of the podcast. But thank you, Kay. Thank you so much. Um, and we can't wait to have you on the podcast again in the future. Well, thank you. Look, it's been lovely to be here and I do love meeting people in person at conferences. So always come over and say hi. And I'm, I'm always happy to meet people. Like I get a real buzz out of conferences and interacting with people. So feel, you know, that, and that's another wellbeing thing is, you know, the boost, those personal interactions and getting to know people that you might have only communicated with on social media or by email or something to meet them face to face is is really you know enjoyable and pleasing and um, it's lovely. So and that's you know pharmacy is a community. We you know we're I suppose there are thirty five thousand plus pharmacists now in Australia, but you know so many people in pharmacy when you've worked in it for a while and you build up your connections and. And that's really, I think, important to us all. Amazing. Thank you so much, Kay. Thanks for joining us today on the Pharmacy View podcast. And don't forget to like, share, and leave us a comment if you found this episode of value or have feedback. Podcast episodes are promoted through social media, LinkedIn, YouTube, and major podcast mediums. And each episode can be found on the Pharmacy View webpage with links to the guest contact and business details. If you're a pharmacist or industry support supplier and would like to join us on an episode, send us a message through LinkedIn or complete the inquiry form on the Pharmacy View webpage. I'm your host, Kavita Nadan, pharmacist founder from Locomate, and thanks again for joining us today on the Pharmacy View podcast.